Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, where we check out everything from what's up into the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks. Of course, at the end of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. And it's the first of the month. It's the first Friday of March. It's hard to believe that we're already three months into 2022. Um, but regardless, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, like I said, we do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Um, if you like what you see here, please go ahead and subscribe. Uh, leave a like on a video if you can. It lets us know we're doing a good job and that we should keep doing it. Um, if you have any ideas for future episodes, we're always looking for ideas um, for an episode. Uh, you can email us at info at skywatcherusa.com and just title it What's Up. And if you have pitched an idea to us and you haven't seen it, um, don't worry. Uh, it does take some time for us to schedule everything. It's not like we just come up with an idea and the next week it happens. Um, we usually plan these out by quarter. So, you know, if you haven't seen something, it doesn't mean we're not going to do it. It just means it hasn't made its way into the schedule yet. Um, if you want to stay up with what's going on with Skywatcher, there's a lot of cool things that are about to happen over the next several weeks with Skywatcher. So, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, please go over to our website, skywatchusa.com, and head up and hit the subscribe and save button. Jump on our email list, and it'll keep you up to date with what's going on here at the webcast, um, new products, and what have you. Um, and there's a lot of nifty things, like I said, that are actually coming up um, in the near future. So we are pretty excited to share that with you guys as well. Now, if you're looking for swag, just to let you know, we do have our skywatcher.threadless.com store. We've got all kinds of shirts, leggings, all kinds of really cool stuff there. You can always head over to the uh, Skywatcher uh, Threadless store. Um, again, it's skywatcher.threadless.com. Hoodies, you know, all kinds of stuff to match uh, whatever Skywatcher gear you've got um, or just because it's cool. So anyway, there's the Threadless store right there. Um, that's skywatcher.threadless.com. We appreciate you hanging out and checking it out. Uh, but without further ado, let's get started. Um, so again, like I said, it is the first Friday of March, which means we're checking out what's up in the nighttime sky. And we are kind of about, uh, we're about to do the transition from winter into spring, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere. And the Southern Hemisphere is about to go into autumn. But because we're based up here in the Northern Hemisphere, we're just covering the Northern Hemisphere. Sorry to my Southern Hemisphere friends. Um, but March does mark uh, spring, at least the end of March. So this will cover uh, that as well. So right off the bat, let's talk about the big bright thing in the sky. And no, it's not the sun. Although it is the sun during the day. Uh, new moon was March 2nd. Um, so right now, if you go out this evening... Um, you're going to be able to, uh, see a bunch of this. Uh, I'm sorry. I just realized that I wasn't sharing the right thing. So sorry, real quick, blah, 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 blah. Uh, go to our website, uh, hit the subscribe button right there. Ta-da! There it is. Um, we've got a bunch of cool things coming up. If you want to stay informed, go add to our email list. Um, and then if you want to go over to our cool nifty swag store, it's threadless or skywatcher.threadless.com. There's all our nifty things right there. Ta-da! Um, and that's it. We're back now that you can see everything on the screen there. Sorry about that. Now let's talk about the big bright thing in the nighttime sky, the moon. Um, anyway, back to your normal content. 
uh march 2nd was new moon so two days ago um we do have some thin crescents that are happening this weekend so if you are looking to get out and do some dark sky viewing this weekend is totally fine um however you can get out and do that on the 26th and the 27th of this month as well uh because the moon will be a uh waxing gibbous or waxing crescent waning crescent i'm sorry uh, later in the month so it'll rise later in the evening so if you're looking to get some nice dark skies uh, you can still catch that at the end of the month there uh, but like i said we have some real thin crescent moons um, coming out right now so today is the fourth um, this would be the sky eight o'clock this evening um, let me back this up a little bit maybe an hour so really thin little crescent moon um there was a very very thin one last night like just over two percent illuminated um last night but tonight you'll be able to walk out and see that uh this evening this is stellarium it's a free for software you can get online it's a pretty cool little thing um but you'll be able to catch the crescent moon there setting in the west um it should be out of the sky relatively quickly and then over the next two days on the fifth and sixth um we're getting a brighter crescent moon but you know the moon's going to be out of the sky on sunday night by you know 10 o'clock it's not going to be that big of a deal so um and then probably on the fifth it is saturday night um it's gone about nine o'clock so if you're going out to do some dark sky viewing this week you or weekend uh the moon will be out of the sky um, at least tonight it'll be out of the sky probably around seven o'clock eight o'clock and then on saturday night it'll be gone by eight o'clock so gives you all night to go out and do some awesome viewing of the nighttime sky now the full moon is going to be coming up as well that is march 18th is the full moon and this particular moon is known as the worm moon um that's because earthworms this time of year the soil's worming uh warming up ha 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 see what i did there um the soil is warming up and earthworms are starting to come out and do what they do preparing for spring just in time to plant the gardens and all kinds of whatever you got going on but uh that is the worm moon that is the march full moon and that takes place on march 18th so plan accordingly planets um planet season's pretty much done um at least till later uh in the year right now um there's still a couple planets hanging out up there we do have uranus which is kind of hanging out um it's pretty low right now so let me get this back to eight o'clock let me pull this tonight there we go so uranus is actually hanging up here right there um it's in the constellation of aries right now um so that's one planet but it's it's getting pretty low in the nighttime sky uh this is a fun one to do because you can do it in most average backyard telescopes it's just a little blue ball floating out there um if you're in dark dark skies you can actually see uranus naked eye it's about uh, minus or it's about magnitude seven just around seven right here it's saying 7.2 um i'm sorry 5.8 a little brighter than i thought um so it is naked eye visible i have seen it under very dark skies it's cool to be able to check that one off the visual scale uh, 
but it is an easy one to do in pretty much any size telescope and adding a little bit of magnification you can get the you know looks like a little blue sphere hanging out amongst the star field it does noticeably look different than most of the stars in the field it doesn't have that stellar look it does look like a planet um but yeah that's the planet uranus go ahead and check that one out um maybe go out this weekend and check it out it's a fun one to uh, knock off your list uh now neptune is also hanging out up there and i don't think it's showing up the way i want to on this so we'll just have to find it neptune would help if i could spell it did we lose neptune already did i mix them up yep never mind okay so with that being said we only have one planet up in the nighttime sky right now and that is uranus um it is theoretically naked eye visible um neptune i'm just gonna skip over this so you guys don't see it uh um but yeah uranus is pretty much it now if you're an early morning riser um which i am not or you're gonna be up we'll just fast forward to the morning um hanging out in the morning you've got venus and mars are hanging out uh saturn has finally come around uh so all the planets are going to start making their way into the early morning uh skies there uh jupiter is probably not too far from the sun uh, but we do have a conjunction i think with mars and venus um this month let me fast forward this yeah actually there's a cool one right there on uh, the morning of march 25th um let me see if i can get back to five o'clock yeah on march 25th uh we have venus saturn and mars uh, making a cool it'll be right next to the bright star um right there but uh you'll have a pretty cool conjunction on the 25th uh in the very early morning um venus mars and saturn uh will be paired together if you're going to be an early morning riser so go ahead and check that out that's on march 25th um and yeah so there you go that's it for planets not a lot going on right now hopefully later this year we do have a close approach of mars again this year so that'll be kind of cool to see it won't be as good as it was um in 2020 but we'll we'll get a good view of it this year now the sun the sun is starting to kick off some really nice activity um i don't change these slides i say that every month but um, it's a fun object to image or sketch because it's constantly changing but really the sun is really throwing out quite a show lately um and ideally if you have why is it let me doing i don't know why it doesn't usually it lets me blow that image up really easily but there it goes there we go there's a lot of stuff going on in the sun right now. Now, this is Gong, uh, G-O-N-G. Uh, if you want to find it, just go to Google and type in G-O-N-G-H alpha, and then I'll take you to the website there. But these are professional observatories that have all um, updated, not quite live stream, but updated images every few minutes of the sun in H alpha. Now, I will say when observing the sun, you need to use proper filters. Don't go out there and just try to look at it. It's extremely dangerous and you will damage your eyes. Do not observe the sun without the proper equipment. Now, that being said, there are different types of solar filters, most common one being a white light filter that lets you see sunspots. And there's a couple of them out there. 
Um, but probably the most dynamic and most popular way to look at the sun nowadays is with an H alpha filter, um, a solar H alpha filter, not a nighttime H alpha filter. That would not be appropriate. Um, and also it doesn't work to do what you need. Now, if you want to learn about H alpha filters and stuff like that, we have a previous episode that talks about solar filters and all the different types and what they do. Um, so you can go back and check that out. But there's a ton of prominences. There's some really nice filaments. There's a lot of detail going up on the sun right now, and it's just going to get better and better as we approach solar maximum. Um, we do have two eclipses coming up in the next couple of years, one in 2023 and one in 2024, a total eclipse um, is coming up. So uh, if you don't have a solar telescope, uh, now would probably be the time to at least put an order in or seriously consider it because as we get close to those two um eclipses at the end of 2023 and spring of 2024 um it's gonna be very hard to get those telescopes it's already difficult to get that equipment right now but you know you can always put an order in and wait and you're not racing the clock to get a view of the eclipse um so just something to think about we will probably do an episode towards the end of the year discussing that topic about preparing for the eclipses that are coming but uh for now uh a lot of people are not really thinking about it in depth so this would be the time that i would recommend you know if you don't have one look at getting yourself a solar telescope but uh h alpha is an amazing way to observe the sun it's where the sun is most dynamic you can see all these awesome details on there and they change all the time you know throughout the day it's constantly changing um so uh, today is a particularly nice day because there's a bunch of different things up there on the sun so Anyway, that's what's going on on the sun right now. That is Gong H-Alpha. So uh, just type that into Google. You'll be able to take a look at that. And it's got some cool stuff to uh, to look at there. But the sun is very dynamic right now. It's just going to get better. So it's definitely worth going out and observing it. I try to get out at least once a week, just for a couple minutes. If you've got something small, you know, like a 30 or 40 millimeter or even a 60 millimeter H-Alpha telescope, just put it on like a photo tripod and pop that out and that would be awesome uh bob we do not make an h alpha telescope as cool as that would be we don't you'd have to go to like lunt or daystar and stuff like that um and yeah so there you go uh meteor showers uh much like february there is i was actually surprised i thought there was something but there's nothing nothing is happening uh for meteor showers for march uh, there is some stuff in April that's coming up, but it's not April, and we're not discussing April right now. So, unfortunately, there's not a lot to talk about for meteor showers this month. So, you might catch a few shooting stars that are floating around, but, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Nothing, nothing for meteor showers, uh, unfortunately. Now, comets. Um, I did see... Whoops, jumped ahead there. I did see a very cool shot of a comet uh, right next to the Rosette Nebula uh i think damien pete shot it i don't remember which uh when it was uh our observatory we've had some weather out there um so haven't had a lot of time to do some imaging of what's what's cool and stuff in the comet world uh, but let's see what's going on uh right now this is cometchasing.skyhound.com uh this is a great website if you're really into comets it shows all kinds of uh, the visible comets that are up my, this might have been the comet next to the rosette 
it looks like it would be correct. 104P Koal. Sorry if I butchered that. Um, that might be the one. It is moving into Gemini, so that would be accurate. Yep. Uh, this is probably it. Anyway, um, this is my favorite website for using comets. Um, so... The reason being is it gives you details about all the current comets, tells you the names, and then that makes it really easy for you to go into like a program like Sky Safari and actually look up the comet, see where it's at, how bright is it, and maybe like get your star chart there. Um, these have star charts as well, but uh, Sky Safari makes that a little bit more interactive. But uh, these are all the current uh, comets that are currently visible. Now the brightest one right now, at least in the northern hemisphere, is C 2019 L3 Atlas. This is in Gemini, uh, shining at just under tenth magnitude. So, it's there's nothing that's super dynamic right now in the world of comets. Um, no big things to write about. We've lucked out recently. There's been some really nice stuff, um, but right now the brightest ones. You know, we're all just under 10th magnitude, pushing past 10th magnitude. So that's doable on like a 6-inch telescope or 150-millimeter telescope. Um, but there's nothing big right now that I'd say you have to run out and go see. Um, but there are some fun ones out there. For example, if you are going to be going out to a dark sky site this weekend, uh, what could be fun is, you know, pick a couple of these you know these top four right here uh this one this one uh c 2019 l3 19p borelli 104p c 2017 k2 pan stars um if you've got an eight or ten inch telescope or bigger and you're looking for kind of a challenge you know take those four and go hunt them down and see if you can see them uh, that's kind of a fun little challenging thing unless you're doing the Messier marathon for those of you who are not familiar March generally in the northern hemisphere is Messier time or Messier marathon time a Messier marathon is basically where you're able to observe almost all of the Messier catalog um, almost 110 objects in one night the entire catalog um, I've done like 109 108, 109 in one night. Um, it was a long night, but it was doable. But that's kind of a thing that does happen this time of year. Probably this weekend would be the weekend to do it or the later in the month. But usually you can get almost the entire catalog in one night. But that normally takes place in March, which actually segues us right into Deep Sky. So like I said, uh, this weekend uh, is the dark weekend of the month. We have some very thin crescent moons uh, tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday night. Uh, but if you've got clear skies, this would be the Messier Marathon weekend. And like I said, a Messier Marathon is where you can go out to a dark sky site, hopefully a location that's got very good horizons. And you should be able to observe almost all 110 objects in the Messier catalog in one night. It's a fun challenge to do, especially if you're new and you like doing deep sky observing. It is a fun thing to actually go out and try to do and see what you can get out of it. Um, but it's a fun challenge um, until you get into like Virgo and Ophiuchus. Because uh, Virgo is packed full of galaxies and Ophiuchus has a bunch of globular clusters in it. So... Um, it does get a little tedious and larger aperture doesn't always help, especially when you're in the Virgo cluster of galaxies, just because you're looking for galaxies, a bigger telescope doesn't help because there's more galaxies in the background. Um, but 
anyway, this would be the time that you would go out and do the Messier Marathon. And if you are doing it, good luck. Um, and uh, yeah, just good luck with it. Have fun with it. That's the most important part. Um, someone did mention earlier, asked uh, which galaxy is on the Skywatcher logo. I figured now that we're at the deep sky portion, it would be worth talking about. Uh, I believe, as far as I know, they went with M51, the Whirlpool galaxy. But that's that's the only way I can actually confirm that. But I don't know for sure. But in our little intro thing, um, it should be M51 is where it starts out. Now, um, I'm just going to start out with it right now. Uh, we have M42. A lot of this stuff is going to be a repeat over the last couple months, but these are, you know, these are really the gems that everyone goes after. So M42 is still hanging out um, right now. Uh, let me go back to the night here. I don't want Julian. Um, do, 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 do. Oop, too much. Eight o'clock. and today's the fourth there we go so uh the constellation of orion is still hanging out uh there it's in the south southwest um so you you still have plenty of time to get out and observe a lot of the objects that are up in taurus or orion um Gemini's still hanging out. Perseus is still hanging out up there. Um, but by late in the evening, so right around midnight, we're losing the constellation of Orion. Um, Canis Major is going out. Gemini's still hanging in there, but we're starting to give way to the spring skies, which means galaxy season, um, or which really means just dark skies and big telescopes is what that actually equates to. Um, I know uh bob you were saying in the chat uh there's sure not a lot to do in april um i see what you did there <laughs> um but actually from an observing point there's a bunch of stuff to get up there but yeah as we move into the uh april and may um time frames uh we're gonna get into a point of the year where there's not a lot of convenient objects to go observe at least from a backyard anymore you know, the winter time, we have a lot of these very bright nebulas uh, like M42 and the horse head and um, the rosette and all that kind of cool stuff, the cone. And then we have this gap in spring where it's galaxy season and everything's very small um, and it does require, you know, darker skies, longer focal lengths. Uh, and yeah, there's just nothing out. Th there's not a lot of things out there that are really convenient um it's mostly galaxies and that's going to be about it until may time frame um because as we get later into may you you have the constellation of like hercules coming out so you have the big uh hercules globular cluster m13 and then that gives way to the rising of the summer milky way which of course then we get scorpio and ophiuchus and cygnus and then the milky way just in general um from there so uh, but right now we're still kind of hanging on to the, uh, the winter constellations. Um, so all that major stuff out there is still floating around. So, uh, with that being said, you still have M42 That's 1600 light years away. You do have M43 down here as well. And the running man, um, you probably got a couple hours, uh, to go out and observe, 
that. Maybe you want to do an, a final image or wrap up. Right now, I'd probably say if you're shooting an image of M42, now's probably the time you want to, you know, chop, chop, wrap this thing up. Um, it's great from a dark sky site, uh, but you can do it from your house. Uh, the addition of like an O3 filter or a UHC, which is ultra high contrast filter, um, does help observing in light pollution. And of course, imaging from town, uh, M42 is a perfect target to learn how to do astrophotography, especially from in town. And uh, it's great in visible one shot color or narrow band. Um, don't be afraid to do narrow band um, and mix that with color. Uh, this is a color image with a really deep luminance shot plus hydrogen alpha woven into it. So um, it's a fun one. It's just we got to cover it because it's it's there. Now the horse head, the horse head and the flame, like I've said before, is almost the complete opposite from M42. And reason being is M42 is big, bright, easy to see. doesn't matter what optic you've got. It's doable. Now the horse head and flame, though right next door, right next to the Bright Star Alnatak, is much more difficult to do. Uh, this requires dark skies. I would say it, you could do it in a 10 inch. Um, but a 12 inch, any aperture helps. H beta filter is ideal and a, or a UHC filter because a UHC does pass H beta, but an H beta is, isolates the uh, hydrogen line a lot better. So it pops out the contrast a little bit more trying to see it. The goal when you're trying to actually uh, view the horse head is you're actually trying to find this nebula. This is IC434. And then you kind of follow this along and you're basically looking for this absence of light from the nebula. So you're basically trying to find what's not there. Um, that's basically what you're trying to find. Now, this past weekend uh, was actually my first light outing with my new 28 inch telescope, 700, uh, just over 700 millimeter diameter mirror. Um, it's a 28 F 3.3, uh, big, big scope. Um, we were in a slightly darker location than most uh, backyards. It was a little bit better. Um, and we even tried it there. And you couldn't make it out too much, even with an H-beta filter and that much aperture. So it really requires a good location, even with a large instrument, uh, to see it. At least from a visual perspective. Now, from an astrophotography perspective, the horse head is a walk in the park because of these modern-day filters. So... Um, you can do it in town with a one-shot color. It does show up in a you know a minute or two image without a filter. You'll see it. Um, filters will help reduce the light pollution if you're doing one-shot color um, or color imaging. But narrowband filters, especially when you're imaging from in town, like an H-alpha filter, is really ideal. So that's uh, something you want to go out and take a look at doing. Um, it's amazing how easy this nebula is with cameras. Um, a 30-second image, it pops right out. Um, but yeah, it's a phenomenal nebula to go see. Um, it is a, it's a big notch in your belt when you're at a dark sky and you finally see it because there's so many people that see the horse head on like books or um, online and they're like wow i want to see that it's just it's nowhere near as easy to see as it's made out to be so it is a bit of a challenge but if you've got some decent aperture like a 10 or 12 inch or bigger and access to filters and a dark sky it's very helpful the trick i find is getting on target and moving the telescope side to side 
whether it's a, a DAB or whatever you're using, um, the controller, move it side to side and you want to see what moves with the star field. And I find that's an easy way to detect uh, what's there and what's not. So anyway, that's the horse head and the flame. The flame is easy. Um, from an average sky, um, it's a little bit dark. The flame nebula is not a problem to see. Um, it's very easy to catch. The, the harder part is actually trying to get IC434 in the horse head, which is right next door. Now, next up is... I didn't freaking fix this. I'm sorry. Um, I thought I fixed this one, and I didn't. So, this is the Rosette Nebula. Just complete. I'm not even going to show you. This is the Rosette Nebula. Uh, the Rosette Nebula is located in the constellation of Monoceros, which is not far um from like the horse head and um the belt of orion and all that um it's just a little further east now the rosette nebula is one of those where from an uh i wouldn't say from the backyard you could get it visually um, it also depends on how bad your light pollution is but you can see the star cluster that resides inside of it um ngc 2264 it's kind of a mess of ngc catalog numbers um in this object there's a lot going on there but uh, the uh the rosette nebula is one that is actually fairly easy to get from a dark sky site the problem with it is is it's huge um you're gonna need a, a low power telescope with a really wide field um you could probably get it without a filter but something like a uhc or an o3 filter um is uh definitely doable um, and we'll help pop that out um, and show you. Uh, but from a from an imaging standpoint, the rosette is very easy to do, even from a backyard. Um, it's an excellent object if you've got narrowband filters. It's very vibrant in all, uh, most of the narrowband uh, filters that are available. But it's a very cool object to go out and observe. There's a lot of structure in there. So astrophotography, it's very, it's not difficult. The biggest challenge you're going to find is how large the object is. So you want to make sure that your optical system is up to um, encompassing that entire object and that entire field. And then from a deep sky perspective, uh, visually, um, again, wide field optics will help, but um, dark skies will, will be a, a nice match to have with this thing. Now, right next door, almost connected to the rosette, is the Cone Nebula. Um, this is in Monoceros, 2,700 light years away. Again, very similar to the Cone. Dark skies are ideal, um, as with anything. UHC or O3 filters. Um, Imaging-wise, this is an easy one to knock out, especially with, like I said, modern-day cameras and those narrowband filters make this very easy uh, to catch. Um, there's a lot of awesome detail in here. Uh, this is a one-shot color image with hydrogen alpha applied over the top as a luminance channel. Um, so it does help pop some of that detail out. But the Cone Nebula has a bunch of detail inside of there. And those narrowband filters will help make that doable, especially from a backyard. Um, a lot of these emission nebulas, it's pretty much the same. If you live in a very light-polluted location, especially if you're using uh, imaging equipment, narrowband filters or if you're using a one-shot color system the multi-band narrowband filters are ideal to being able to take nice images and not having to really futz around too much with this uh light pollution that is constantly pounding away at everything so 
Uh, next up is M1. M1 is still hanging out up in the constellation of Taurus. It's up there in the horns. About a thousand light years away. This one is a lot... I wouldn't say it's it's not super challenging. It's not the most exciting thing to see in the night sky. Um, unless you're under the right conditions. Now visually it's going to look like a smudge amongst the star field there. And that's pretty much true for the most part. Um, it's a little easier to see the smudge in darker skies. But as far as detail goes, it's it's rather difficult uh, to actually see any structure in it. Um, blowing this up a little bit, you can see kind of that web kind of structure. Um, now, that webbing, um, or I'm not even sure what to call it, that's really visible in hydrogen alpha. So if you're imaging, um, being able to use an H-alpha filter to pop that you know outer cage-like structure out is uh, helpful. But from a visual standpoint, that is also visible. Um, I have seen it in a 28-inch telescope, not mine, a friend of mine's 28-inch uh, or 700 millimeter, if we're converting that, 0.7 meter uh, Dobsonian telescope. We were able to see that. Uh, I think we used a UHC filter and carefully viewing, if you looked at it just right with a large enough telescope, that kind of webbing that sits around M1 is actually visible. Um, with the right filters under the appropriate skies with the right equipment. And I'm talking really big uh, telescopes at this point. But if you have access, if you're going to a star party and like this weekend and you know somebody's going to have like a 20-something inch telescope, you know, half meter scope or bigger, give it a go. See if you can pull that out. It's kind of a cool little, you know, detail to be able to check out um, if you can. But that's a really fun one to go uh, take a look at. But yeah, having having that large aperture to back you up is no one's going to argue with that at all. But it is possible to see the structure on M1, but it just takes uh, some serious aperture and some good skies. Imaging wise, it's not difficult. It's it is a lot smaller object than I think a lot of people uh, think it is. Um, so if you're shooting a short focal length scope, you might have to crop in, especially with these high uh, megapixel cameras, um, or you'll need a longer focal length scope, um, whatever works out, or you can take a wide field shot, no problem, but it is a lot smaller of an object than I think a lot of people expect it to be. Now, one of my favorite objects, and I always forget it's there, but, um, I'm not a super big fan of open clusters, but this one is my favorite. This is M46 in the constellation of Puppis. Um, it's kind of a two for one or three for one, if you know what you're looking for. Um, it's 4,900 light years away. It is doable in town. It's an open cluster. Um, open clusters are not super, they are affected by light pollution like many other objects are, but you can still see it. And it's also really close to M47. So if you have a wide enough field telescope, you might even catch both of the open clusters, but it's in this really dense portion of the winter Milky Way. Um, so there's a lot of stars in the region. But what I really like about this is there's a planetary nebula in the same field of view. Um, sorry about that. I hit my mic. Um, so here's a, a full resolution shot. You can see the little bubble right in there. Um, there's the planetary. Now, here's the thing. There's actually two planetaries in the field of M46. That's why I said it's a three-for-one deal. 
Now, I haven't personally visually seen the second one. But now that I have a big enough scope to go hunt it down, that might have to happen. Um, back this weekend when we were actually doing first light on the 28-inch, we actually observed M46 through it. And you could see the little planetary nebula without any filter whatsoever. Um, it was pretty awesome to not need a filter. A uh, filter obviously helps, but um, that much aperture, it was no problem. But M46 is a very nice cluster. There's a very dense star cloud that it sits within. In a dark sky, it's beautiful. It looks like spilt glitter um, everywhere. So go ahead and check that out. But what's fun is you get that planetary nebula floating in the, the field of view. And the one thing I think is really neat about this is the planetary is actually a foreground object, not a background object. So it sits in front of the cluster. Um, so it's a fun one if you're out doing an outreach event. Maybe you're doing live imaging. It's a fun one to actually show people because you do get that uh, two objects in one kind of thing. But there is a whole nother um, planetary in the field. Um, here's the two planetaries blowing them up. There's NGC 2438, which is the planetary that's easy and sits in front of the actual cluster. And then off to the right is Minkowski uh, 1-18. Uh, a much smaller, much dimmer planetary, more red um, it does get overlooked quite a bit, but if you've imaged this target before, go back and actually check it out. You might be surprised at what's hiding inside your data. Or when you're observing this, try to find the smaller planetary, that 1-18 planetary nebula. It's a fun one to try and... It's just a fun thing to go try and find. So... Um, I love planetary nebulas. They're my favorite object to go look for. So these are, um, it's kind of cool to catch two of them um, right next to each other in the same field. So anyway, give that a go, especially if you've got someone that's got a big scope to go hunt them down. Um, but 2438 is very easy to see, um, especially if you're in a dark sky. It looks like a little ghostly bubble sitting inside of M46. Um, a UHC or O3 would probably pop that out. Now, the smaller planetary nebula, um, I haven't seen that in person yet. It's got a lot more hydrogen in it, so an H-beta filter might be help more helpful, but a UHC could also help as well. So, good luck. Go give it a try. See what you find. Uh, another planetary nebula, this is just a fun one, is up in Gemini. This is the Eskimo 2392, um, 5,000 light years away. This is easy in town. That's the nice thing about planetaries is they're bright. Um, little dense puff balls. Um, so six inch telescope, O3 or UHC filter is very nice. Imaging wise, planetaries are very tricky because they are a nebula, but they're, a they're very condensed. So it's easy to overexpose them. So you have to shoot quick. Um, these long exposures don't really help too much. So I think this image, here's a crop in version of it. Um, you can see the Eskimo there. But uh, it's a fun one to go after. It looks like a binary star with its next door star right there. But you'll notice that the nebula itself is a lot more um, ghostly uh, than stellar uh, than the rest of them are. So go ahead and check that one out. And if you've got good skies, if it's stable, pump the magnification up. See what detail you can find. See if you can see the inner bubble. And then, you know, if you've got a big enough scope and the seeing is good, try and see what detail you can get in the parka portion of it. But it's a fun one. But definitely don't be afraid to push the magnification on the scope. 
Um, especially if you've got like a, you know, a C11 or a 12 inch or a 10 inch or bigger Cassegrain or a large daub or something like that. Try it. See what happens. If it doesn't look good, take the Mac, back it off. But uh, that's always a fun one to go after. Um, let's see. Um, M106. This is in Canon Majoris. This is just rising 25 million light years away. It's easy in a moderate size telescope. So that eight inch class or bigger. Uh, good skies. Um, it is a galaxy. Galaxies are fairly forgiving imaging in town. A light pollution filter is really all that you need. Um, they don't have a lot of them don't have these really delicate wisps like the nebulas do. So if you get gradients, it's easier to process them out. Uh, but dark skies, of course, always help. This one's really unique, though, because you can get some H alpha detail inside of it. Um, let me crop in a little bit here. Um, so here's the luminance shot of M106, and then here's the hydrogen detail. Um, you can see these little red arms. These get whipped up um, by the black hole that's in the center of the galaxy. Um, so it's kind of cool, especially if you're going to be imaging. Uh, do a little bit of H-alpha data and see if you can pop those arms out. This was taken with an Esprit 150. And a ZWO6200 with a 5 nanometer hydrogen alpha filter, but this should be doable even in a backyard because the hydrogen alpha filter would knock that out. But give it a go, see what you can find. Uh, but this is M106, it's a beautiful galaxy up in Canis Majoris. Um, there's all kinds of bunch of galaxies in this field, um, but yeah, go out and take a look at it. Let me pass through here. Um, another two-for-one deal, M81 and M82. These are just rising in Ursa Major. These are 12 million light years away. These are easy to see from a backyard. They're not crazy rich with detail. Um, but under good skies, you can see more detail in there. Um, M10, I'm sorry, M81, which is the, the big spiral right in the middle here. With like a 12-inch telescope and dark skies, you can see the spiral arms in it. It's really impressive. And if you get a larger telescope, um, there's even more detail that can be seen. It's very cool. Um, you can do imaging on these objects in town. Dark sky helps. But don't be afraid to add some H-alpha data in there as well because M82, the next-door neighbor, has this really crazy red stuff going on. Um, so being able to have that hydrogen alpha detail will pop that out. But a big, big thing um, that is in this region is the IFN or the um, Integrated Flux Nebula. All this stuff. Um, these two galaxies just happen to sit in a very dense area of it. But in dark skies, especially with these modern cameras, there's all kinds of Flux Nebula hanging out out there. So if you're imaging this this weekend, it is the season to start imaging these two uh, galaxies because they're just starting to rise right as the sun goes down. So you can almost shoot it all night. Um, but uh, that is uh, uh, two objects uh, that you can see uh, very easily. But uh, definitely go out, check it out, and see if you can see them. And if you're imaging, good luck trying to hunt down the... Uh, the inner the flux nebula it's very cool to be able to catch it um and with modern cameras it's pretty easy now to wrap it all up one with a lot of two for one three for one deals going on right now uh leo leo triplet these are three galaxies they're rising in leo just after sunset um leo is rising so you can actually see it but about 
nine or 10 o'clock at night, these are high enough to where you probably start getting to them. Um, now the light year distance on this is incorrect because the galaxies are in different positions. Um, this is doable to an extent in town. You can get two of the brighter ones, but it's going to take darker skies to get all three in town imaging. It is doable. It's just like the rest of the galaxies. You might want to use a light pollution filter. Um, but dark skies obviously help here. Now there are three galaxies here. There's M65 and M66. Those are the two easy ones. So if you're trying to observe this from a uh, backyard or a moderately light polluted location, those two galaxies are going to be the ones that you're going to see most. They're going to be the brightest. They're going to be easiest to see. You can catch them in like a four or five inch telescope or bigger. Now, the next door one, the Hamburger Galaxy or NGC 3628, that's a lot more difficult to do. Um, an 8-inch telescope can do it, but you need to be in dark skies. The light pollution really knocks this thing out um, pretty easily. Uh, Imaging-wise, all three should be pretty easy, but dark skies, you're, there's a major tail that comes off of uh, 3628. You can faintly start to see it right here. Um, that goes quite a distance off the galaxy. That is a very faint tidal stream that you're going to be able to catch on very dark locations uh, with a camera. But there's some really cool detail um, floating around in there. But anyway, uh, those are just some objects to check out. Uh, thanks a lot for hanging out with us today. Um, but we appreciate you uh, hanging out with us. If you like what you see here, please subscribe to the webcast and uh leave a like on a video. Um, now, like I said earlier, there's a lot of crazy things that are happening here at Skywatcher over the next couple weeks. And that's starting next week. So next week on the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, we're talking about something new. A brand new set of products is coming out. We're excited to finally announce it. This is going to be the first place that we announce it here in North America. Um, so make sure you're here 10 a.m. Pacific next Friday to check that out. Now, someone asked if we were going to be at NEEF. Uh, the answer is no. We will not be at NEEF this year, um, unfortunately. Now, um, we have a special webcast that's actually going to be airing on April 8th called the Webcast... Uh, I'm sorry, it's a mouthful. The Skywatcher What's Up webcast, Webcastathon Extreme. I know, it's ridiculous, but that it's fun. So there's going to be more details coming up on this. Um, we are going to send out some stuff about it, but this is a all-day-long webcast. Um, it's not going to be fully live because that's way too much time to be talking. The way this is going to work is we have several companies lined up that are doing small 15-minute blocks, pre-recorded blocks, um, about what's cool. We've got Stellar View um, coming on, uh, Daystar, Star Arizona, um, Los Mondi, a bunch of, bunch of, I keep hitting my freaking mic, um, bunch of vendors are going to be hanging out with us. So that's going to start at 10 o'clock uh, Pacific time on April 8th. All this will be released here shortly. Um, but woven in there are going to be four live one hour uh, panels. 
And those panels are going to have all kinds of uh, cool things. We have an outreach panel getting started in astronomy. Uh, we have an influencer panel, lack of a better term. Um, we've got uh, Nico Carver is going to join us for that. Um, who else is in there? We got Trevor Jones is going to be in that one. Uh, we have an optics panel uh, that we're putting together as well. So there'll be four live panels. We're excited to show you about that as well. That's April 8th, but there'll be more details coming up on that um, over the next few weeks. So we hope you join us with that. Um, but yeah, that's what's going on. And then between there, we also have a bunch of other stuff uh, coming up as well. And then we've got a special uh, t-shirt that's going to be coming out that'll be available during the webcast extreme on April 8th as well. So we'll have more details about that coming up, but that's April 8th. Next week, we've got brand new products to show you. Um, I'm really excited to finally be able to bring some of these out. But over the next few weeks, we've got several things we're going to be uh, announcing. So keep an eye out for all of that. Uh, but with that... Uh, Thanks for hanging out with us this Friday. That's pretty much all I've got for you for March Night Skies. Uh, please join us uh, next week. We've got um, new products to talk about. We'll give you a little bit more details for things that are up and coming. Our 100th episode is on April 15th, and we're going to do... The plan is to do a giveaway on that for something that you guys don't know about yet. So um, there's a lot of cool things that are going to be coming on um so we're excited to have you guys here thank you very much for hanging out with us we'll see you guys next friday please have a good weekend go out observe uh be awesome to each other clear skies and see you guys next week take care everyone bye